Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be talking about yesterday's Thunder and OKC Blue Games. This was a pretty interesting kind of series of events last night because typically what you're going to see from these G League games are the games will be in the morning to midday. I believe our first game was at 10.30 and the one against the G League Ignite was at like 2 or 3. This game against the Cannon Charge started at 6 and the OKC game started at 7. So I had to like dual monitor, take notes on both games simultaneously. So I'm going to try to give you guys the recaps of both of those in the best way I possibly can. But just heading into the Thunder game, because I know that's what most of you guys are here for, had to go against the Bucks, second best team in the Eastern Conference, entered the game at 16-10. and 10. You got Giannis Adentacumpo. This man is a walking double-double MVP candidate. And you also got Chris Middleton, two-time All-Star. They did not have Drew Holiday in this game. That was their major kind of hitch to the rotation. But let's not forget to mention that Oklahoma City has been down their best player for the third game in a row. And this third game came against the Milwaukee Bucks. Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's got a little banged up knee right now. So Mark Dagnalt and just the team of doctors, I suppose, they don't want him seen playing time. And typically, like if you're contending, I would be pretty heated, you know, whenever you're able to play, I mean, he was playing, like, seemed fine when he played against the Lakers, then he kind of got pulled back out of the rotation again, clearly, there's something jacked up, and he needs to heal up, because knee injury, it can turn pretty serious, can't be mad at them for that, but, I mean, honestly, it's great, uh, you don't want to wish an injury on anybody, but when you get him out of the rotation, you get a lot of action from some other guys on the rotation. And I'll be talking about kind of the depth that was shown off against the Milwaukee Bucks on Sunday night. And also, you had Teo Maladone, who is still out for health and safety protocols. That leaves you with no point guard again. So you would expect the typical point Diallo making a highly anticipated return. That's not actually what happened. The OKC Thunder rolled out a different starting lineup. I think this is the first time we have seen this combination all season. Kind of just positionless basketball at its finest. You have a core of Lou Dort, Kenrich Williams, Justin Jackson, Darius Baisley, and Al Horford. Now, the big kind of the swap here is Hamadou Diallo he got kind of dumbed down to this bench role while Justin Jackson, he got pushed up. I mean, he had that 20-piece in his last game against Denver. They wanted to see more action from the 25-year-old in this game. And to start things off, nobody really on this Thunder squad was producing. The Bucks got on a quick 8-0 run in the first three minutes, and it was off of the Thunder's 1-of-7 shooting. So pretty hideous performance to start it out, and it even got blown up to a 13-3 double-digit lead for the Milwaukee Bucks. But there's a lot of resilience on this team. We have seen it. Typically, what has happened in these past few ones is the Thunder, they will be the ones who go out to the quick lead, and other teams will start kind of chopping away at it. 
Tables got turned this time. The Thunder, they started packing a major punch at Milwaukee. They scored 14 straight points in five minutes. And the points came solely off of three members of the starting lineup. Lou Dort and Al Horford, they both chipped in with five points on that little stretch. But how about Justin Jackson? You know, he wanted to go for his little quick runners, push shots, whatever you want to call it. Kind of toned it back. Was able to settle in, get a quick four. And then you're left with the OKC Thunder up 17-13. to But the Greek Freak, he was not about this. He ended up pitching in five straight points and then just turned into a back and forth. Gridlocked at 24 a pop through one period. Main pointers from that first quarter was just Lou Dort. He was being ferocious around the basket. He had two layups, including getting himself to a trip on the line. Just throwing himself at Milwaukee defenders. Ended up with eight points in that first quarter and they shut down the Milwaukee Bucks from deep they shot just one of nine from the arc and both teams they were looking inside for buckets because of that OKC they got some shooters but you know they clearly kind of have a knack at going inside for penetrations now Dort's come into his own Diallo he is a monster inside Darius Baisley has his moments and Al Horford he even has a nice touch around the basket so they had 14 points in the paint to the Milwaukee's 10 in the first period in the second quarter though Still, neither team was able to kind of cement themselves into the game early. Just six points combined in the first five minutes of the quarter. That is absolutely terrible. The Thunder outscored on 4-2 to in that time. But even four points in the first five minutes, that is some, that's some pretty bad efficiency. Terrible numbers. And guess what? The Bucks, they continue to struggle. They shot just one of 14 in the first part of the quarter, and it helped OKC get up to a seven-point lead with five minutes to go. So they had that seven-point lead, and it was just kind of getting traded back and forth, but a 10-6 run in the final two for the Thunder capped off with a ferocious Darius Baisley reverse jam in transition, may you want to add, put them up 11 points by halftime. I believe that was their highest lead of the entire game, right there. So, up 52-41, and Milwaukee, that was their lowest scoring half of the season, right there. They were just shut down in the second quarter. The Thunder, they got shots going from outside, 4 of 9, so 44%, but that's still pretty solid and they were just kicking it out 17 of their 22 first half field goals they came off of assists and it got heavily backed by the big man Al Horford he had six of those 17 and a lot of those passes came right into the grasp of Lou Dort who had 16 points by halftime and going into the third this is when you got to get on the edge of your seat as a Thunder fan. Continue to cough up leads out of thin air. Seemed it would be that way again because the Bucks had a quick burst in the middle of the quarter and it trimmed this Thunder lead from 11 to 6 and it continued 
to be cut down. They kept putting the pressure on the Thunder. They could not get their shots to fall. And the game was tied at the end of the third quarter. Bucks, they were guns blazing. They could not miss a shot for anything. They had 40 points in that third quarter. Oklahoma City, they had 29, but that simply is just not enough points when you're comparing it to what the Bucks were doing out there on the field. And the Bucks, they weren't just doing this from, you know, what you would expect. The big names like Middleton and Giannis, they were looking towards the bench to actually get them a large majority of their points. Came through Bobby Portis and Pat Connington, actually. They had 16 of those 40. And Bryn Forbes, out of nowhere. If you guys don't remember, I mean, he was playing with the Spurs as like a rotational sharpshooter. Comes onto the Bucks. He had to start in placement of Drew Holiday. And he was pretty terrible in the first half. But he got his stuff together. He shot 5 of 6 in the third for 12 points. So really, it was smooth sailing for the Bucks stars. They got to lean back. They got to recline on the bench, drink their Gatorade, and just get fueled up for the final 12 minutes of the game. And as the fourth quarter commenced, the Bucks starters were on the floor, but they were not producing. The Thunder went on a 20-12 run off of 8 of 11 shooting, got them an 8-point lead with 6 minutes to go in the game. But the Bucks, they got a pretty lucky break because they ended up scoring on one end. Thunder end up getting the ball. Justin Jackson takes it inside for a little nice, like, think right-handed layup. The ball goes up. It already reaches the apex of its shot, so it should be going down. Giannis Adenakumpo, he soars in, swats it. I think that should have been a goaltending call. Now, I'm biased. I don't know exactly you know, how refs would be able to make the split-second decision on if it's a goaltending or not. But looking through the TV cameras, I think they caught him in 4K. I think that was a goaltending. But nowhere on the whistle, they let the game continue, and it resulted in a Bucks fast-break bucket. So lead got trimmed down, one-possession game, just a three-point thunder edge with two minutes to go. And that's everything cooled back down again. No one scored. Lou Dort, he ends up getting the first real opportunity at points again. 41 seconds in the game, gets two free throws, ends up splitting them. So OKC is sitting on a two-possession, four-point lead. And Chris Middleton, he wants to play hero. Just airballs a mid-range jumper. Nowhere close, but nobody boxed out Giannis. So he just grabs it, flips it right back up. You get yourself a nice putback layup to cut it to two and then what ends up happening it's pretty crazy take a listen to this it's another one possession game dort it's been getting to the free throw line drive kick jackson hoist and hits another three what a shot and what a performance tonight even a smile so Justin Jackson of all Thunder players is the one who takes the game for us. Hits the go-ahead game winner with seconds just ticking right away. He ended up getting the ball with about three seconds. Dude's like 35, I'm not going to say 35, probably like 30 feet away from the basket. Top of the key, right in a man's face. Absolutely cans it. He gets it to go and OKC. Okay, Goes up five. Milwaukee cannot do 
anything. Chris Middleton shanked another three. He thought he could do something there. Off a couple, you know, free throws, get a little layup in. Thunder win 114 to 109. And after the game, you know, you had to you had to call on him. Nick Gallo, he interviewed Justin Jackson right afterwards. Kind of asked him, you know, obviously about the shot and all that and like just about the team. Pretty much just the way I interpreted things. He just talks about like chemistry for this win. I mean, clearly he has not been with the team like in the rotation all the time he credited like professionalism just mentioned how like everyone on the team has kind of just embodied that this year and just rallied around each other and that's how without their best player they're able to defeat one of the league's best in the Milwaukee Bucks so probably their biggest win of the entire season you can say oh Drew Holiday was not playing I'm sorry but SGA being out is a much bigger absence than Drew Holiday, especially when you have a freaking two-time MVP on your team. I don't even want to hear that argument. So OKC, they got the job done pretty much against all odds. All credited to teamwork. Great game all around for the team. And you got to start with the man, the myth, the legend, Justin Jackson. Went from a dude who probably shouldn't have even been seeing the court. Now he finally gets the playing time. And he looks like a beast. He looks like an NBA player. He has been balling. Has not just been, you know, this game where he showed out. As I said, he had a 20-piece in his last game against the Denver Nuggets. That was on 7 of 11 shooting. Before that, 9 points against the Lakers. And then the first game, 14. So 3 out of his last 4 games, he's had a season high. Apex is it right here with the 22-point game against the Denver Nuggets. Finally seeing some more minutes, getting in more of a role. I think he's been used as just a guy you plug in when there's not much on the line. And when there's not much on the line, he gets kind of happy feet and just shoots whenever he feels like it. Kind of calmed him down a little bit, giving him a bigger role. And he's looked way, way better. Looks like our most reliable option and best player I mean let's just be quite frank here on the team Sunday night so all the praise needs to go to Jackson 9 of 16 shooting wasn't just like all around where he was killing it I mean if you just isolated to three balls he was a perfect four of four from the field got himself three rebounds and five assists in his playing time with the team I personally I think that the Thunder are going to need to make a role for him when everyone comes back if he just keeps producing at this same kind of level you know and I don't know the sustainability here I just know you need to be really excited for this man because he has clearly two kind of aspects to his game it's the catch and shoot three and it's going in for the runner. There's not much in between there with Justin Jackson, but if he's able to nail in on both of those traits, he is going to get another contract in the NBA. He's on the final year of his deal, and quite frankly, the Dallas Mavericks just gave him away to us this season. They may feel some sort of regret here, seeing how Justin Jackson has finally just taken off, looking like a late bloomer of some sorts, you may want to say. 
We'll see if he's able to kind of manage what he's doing right now. If he stays around a double-digit score, you can keep him on the roster, probably pick him up really cheap in restricted free agency, or let's just be honest here. I mean, I had him in my last episode as maybe a trade ship for someone like Mo Bamba. Now getting the recent news that John Collins' is asking price is literally just an early to lottery level first round pick. He, we don't even need Kenrich Williams for that deal. Justin Jackson can be the player to make things work with the Atlanta Hawks. They need someone who can play three or four and they sure as hell need a shooter. You put him in there, kind of helps out a little bit with DeAndre Hunter not playing for them. Maybe the Atlanta Hawks would be cool with him in a pick. Now, I don't know if Sam Presti would want to pull a trigger right now on anyone, Collins, Bamba, whatever it is, but just know he's been increasing his value playing just like this. Now, in a small sample size, probably may not mean that much. Comes down to longevity, and if Justin Jackson can continue to just play very, very good in his role, other teams will want him, and being able to have him as a budget option long-term it should be just a huge bright spot for all these teams because he's not going to be making a ton of money in these next couple years. Teams know that. They just need those guys who can come in 15, 20 minutes and, and help out. And Justin Jackson, as of right now, has been able to do that 100%. Showed up in the biggest moments of the game. And whenever the backs are backs were against the wall, even in that first quarter, he was one of the main guys who got the team out of the slump. True leader you have right here in Justin Jackson. And just the way he was talking to the media after the game, you know that his heart is in the game and he is a great person to be around. So he's not going to have any locker room issues attached to him. You also need to talk about Al Horford. He also was in the 20-point club. Literally just got 20 points. And he got it off of 8 of 16 shooting, 7 rebounds, and 9 assists, almost notching a triple-double against the Milwaukee Bucks here. He's been focused more on the inside game, and it's made him look like such a better player with SGA gone. He's had to be more of a passer since SGA is out. He needed to be more around the free-throw line of the inside because, I mean, if he's around there, and he's beasting down low, he's gonna attract some sort of help defense. And once he sees that, you kick it right back out, turn it into just, you know, hot potato until someone's open, and then you get an open look from outside. So he's able to kind of initiate that kind of stuff. And if no one helps out, in isolations, he was able to just cook up. He shot six of nine on twos, and his matchup was Brooke Lopez, who really was not able to stop him in 20 minutes. Dude had two points on 104 shooting. Didn't really do much defensively either on him, as you could see in the stat sheet. The only kind of bad mark on Horford's night was he couldn't hit an extremely high rate from downtown. Just two of seven. But you, honestly, I mean, he, he was able to make up for it when it came to passing. You don't typically see Al Horford having to be a primary dude with the ball, but with you know, him just being forced into the scene, he's looked very, very great at it, and as of right now, I think any contender looking to win right now should see him as a viable option, because let's not mistake ourselves here, he's definitely on the market right now, 
it's just, I think the asking price for him, it, it's a little bit confusing, because clearly the Thunder, they need some sort of assets in return, but the contract is kind of hideous. Like, teams do not want to be paying him $27 million for the next two, three years or something, especially when he's already 34 years old. If they're bringing him in, they want to give up like a second round pick at most. Sam Presti's totally cool with keeping Big Al on the roster. I don't know how Big Al feels about it, but I mean, he's beasting with us. He's just getting his value higher and higher. One of these teams probably should be pouncing at this guy come trade deadline if they seriously feel like it's now or never if their roster is going to be able to hoist up the Larry O'Brien trophy. So that's the thing you need to think about with him. I mean, just looking better, not just as a three-point shooter. We've always seen him as a great perimeter threat, shooting over 40% from downtown, actually leading the squad from beyond the arc. But now looking like a good face-up big, back-to-the-basket big, corralling boards, and now being a premier passer at the position? Someone's going to need to cough up something in order to get Al Horford. We'll get the rumors circulating in time, but great from him. Also, Darius Baisley looked great. He's had so many just back-and-forth weeks with him, and it couldn't be more evident than looking at his past two games before this one. Second game against the Lakers and the game against the Nuggets. Against the Lakers, he shot 4 of 15 for 9 points. And against the Nuggets, in 29 minutes, he just had 7 points on 2 of 9 shooting. Able to rack up 18 points, 8 of 13, so 62% from the field. 2 of 7 from downtown, whatever, I'm highlighting just what he got in general, right? And he also got three rebounds, three assists, and two steals on the game. Very weird with him. I mean, he always just is able to bounce back out of nowhere. Can't play against Jamichael Green somehow. And then you put him against the best power forward in the league. And he looks like one of the biggest rising stars. It's kind of crazy how it's been working out with him in his second year. You just got to join along to the ride. Can't be hating. It's just going to, you know, it's not going to be good for you. You just need to look at the positives, and this is a big positive with him. He has been great for us this season, just all all those, like, inconsistent games, whatever. I'm looking at the games where he's looking great. This was, without a doubt, one of them. He was flying all across the court for buckets, driving right inside, looking like Giannis Adenokounmpo at times. I told you about that reverse dunk he had. Even was able to get some one-handed dunks in there. So he was packing a real punch against his Bucks second level and third level of defense. And even distributing the ball around. Very solid with the three assists of his. Lou Dort, again, able to play on whoever you want him to. Just beasting right there. Gives you, what, I think he played 36 minutes? Yeah, he led the team in minutes with 36 Played at a high level for every single minute of that period of time. And he was still dominant attacking the basket. Great penetrating this past week. Probably his best one comes against Milwaukee. He gets 19 points on 6 of 13 shooting. And even from downtown, he stretches it going 3 of 8. And get this, he shot 9 free throws. And I'd say all of those just came off of him running right into people. He's playing bumper cars and the refs need to take that into account, put him on the line, clearly four of nine is not what you want from him, but 
eventually those misses are going to turn into makes. Should be a lot better there. Anyways, it's just great to know that he's able to find himself there because it seems like refs kind of, I don't know if they officiated him differently due to like the Harden thing or whatever, but he's just been known as like a physical, physical player to be around, right? So with him taking in contact, refs don't always call it. They called it when it was a foul in this game and definitely showed up. He also was able to get seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Really hard to put into words how he's able to create open room inside. Normally, he just gets it, hits you with like a little jab step, pump fake, gets you moving a bit, and then he'll hit you with a hesitation or a behind the back. And once he gets in front of you, you really can't maneuver your way around him. He's such a big guy, and he's playing. And if he's playing at shooting guard, I know he's at small forward more, but shooting guards they just can't get around him. He's gonna be right in front of you, kind of just like backing you down as he's able to attack the basket and then once he gets inside so big he can put up the little pump fake little slow getting it up there but it always works he'll get a defender airborne can bump into you for the bucket go right underneath you second attempt it should be good to go even then he's pulled out a couple hop step moves and it's it's worked out for him as well so just increased level from everybody especially finding their way inside in this game they were able to compile 50 points in the paint to the milwaukee bucks 40 but just even without it being a one game case study all of them have been way more efficient when trying to go into the cup behind them behind him you gotta take a look at kenny hustle again 10 points on four of eight shooting four rebounds five assists and a steal just like Lou Dort he switches anytime he feels like it just an absolute disruption to any team and I really think him and Dort are some of the main reasons why the Milwaukee Bucks could not hit a shot to save their life in that first half I think as I mentioned I mean they started the first quarter shooting like 11% from downtown didn't get much better in quarter two either just because they changed the pace of the game so much. It's not all man-to-man or just strictly zone. I mean, they switch all the time, bring way too much pressure for you. And when you got guys who, I think Dort's like 6'4", but he's huge. And Kenrich Williams is 6'7", 220 pounds. Able to be fast enough to guard shooting guards and big enough to take on some of the bigger players. And it ends up working it's a perfect kind of union you got right there and it shows up a lot he's always great when it comes to defense and he's always great you know jarring the ball loose stealing but also now just cutting inside and distributing the basketball around he likes just waiting he's been doing a great job making reads when attacking and also when he's outside he's actually putting some needle threaders I think the one that I definitely remember is from like last game. He just threw like a bounce pass to Justin Jackson inside. Pretty much you get the more of the same in this game. Looking like a total starter again. How are you going to work out all these emerging pieces with the team once everyone's healthy? Truthfully, I don't know. Maybe you, you might have to give the boot to some of the veteran players. As sad as that is. But we'll see, man. I don't even want to worry about it right now. Just know Kenrich Williams has continued to look very impressive in this month of February. Off the bench, Miller, Roby, and Mike Muscala, they were all pretty solid. Miller and Roby, they both shot two of three. 
seemed pretty good when it came down to just playing their parts. Roby specifically, he had seven rebounds on the game, just 18 minutes as well. So tells you a lot about his uh, his amount of efficiency down there. Muscala, two of five from three, always around the 40% mark. Hamadou Diallo is the only like glaring difference from this and kind of spiked down the Thunder's field goal percentage in this game. He shot just three of 16 and luckily we had so many guys contribute like out of nowhere such as Jackson to help the Thunder win this game. But yeah, I mean he definitely wants to put this one in his past. I don't know if this is the first time in the season he hasn't shot a free throw but he seriously did not get to the line. And I find it really hard to believe, like, he ran he ran in the paint 16 times and there was no contact? I, I don't know about that one. That's a tough sell for me. But, yeah, just wasn't able to find any rhythm. Got tunnel vision again. He only had three assists, but he had 13 rebounds. And six of those came on the offensive side of the ball. So even if the shot's not going in for Hami, he's still finding other ways to execute getting those second chances he put up a lot of those six offensive rebounds but when he's kicking it out helps you significantly we saw Kenrich Williams being the main out of nowhere offensive rebound guy but Hamadou Diallo he's always been the champion make no mistake of it that's one of the biggest things that he's had going for him throughout his entire NBA career especially you know in the summer league when he was with Burton yeah he was beasting on the offensive rebounds continued that when he was playing with the blue when he started playing with the thunder and now when he's playing a real role looks even better at it so keep developing there a little bit of tunnel vision just luckily able to get the W here the thunder end up moving up to 11 and 15 in the standings while Milwaukee they sit at 16 and 11 thunder you know, they subtract a little bit of their ping pong balls. I don't know how much they love that. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if SGA may be out a little bit longer. Like, I don't think they'd be stressing out too much about him being gone, especially with all these guys playing great and the likelihood they may lose a game, a couple games. I think, you know, they may, uh, they may, like, under the covers want to have them lose a couple games but I don't you know I don't want to I don't want to say that or anything but yeah I don't think they'd be too disappointed if that stuff were to happen anyways SJ he may be back in the next contest when the Thunder go up against the Portland Trailblazers they still don't have Yusuf Nurkic no CJ McCollum so you're just looking at Damian Lillard but he's got a nice kind of side piece around him I'd say He's got Anthony Simons, who had 20 points against us in the last game. Gary Trent also hit the 20-point club in the last game. And I believe Carmelo Anthony may have as well. So they had four players who scored in the 20-plus point range. You got to shut them down. Can't let any of their four stars, particularly Damian Lillard, get hot because that's going to set you up in a bad position. We'll see how it goes there, though. Just keep your head up as a Thunder fan. This has been probably the most beautiful basketball we have seen all year from the team. Second story of the episode. Gotta talk about the OKC Blue playing against the Cannon Charge at 6 p.m. Already told y'all, but pretty interesting trying to balance between the two games. 
had one of mine on like a Chromebook or whatever because I got it ESPN Plus. Other one I had on the TV. You know, I got Fox Sports Oklahoma on. But with this game, both teams were at one and one. Only one of them would be above the 500 mark. And the OKC Blue, they did a very great job at establishing themselves and looked like probably a real contender in the league. Yet again, they just completely blew this game open. They won. 141 to 110 against the charge and i'm just gonna go quarter by quarter on how this dominance was kind of just orchestrated and some of the highlights from the game so in the first really just like a slow paced game actually i, I want to refute that statement because it was just all offense just not a lot of stoppage from either side through the first quarter the blue were up just two points but it was very high scoring. They combined for 66 points in the quarter. Blew up 34 to 32 on the charge. And it started with the man himself, Moses Brown. He goes in for the first seven minutes. And he wants every single shot he can get. He had 50% of the team shots in the first quarter. Went 5 of 12. Netted him 10 points. And a total of eight rebounds were credited to him in the first quarter. And get this, five of those eight came on offense. So when you're seven foot two in the G League, as I've said, helps you out a lot clearly. That's why he got up so many shots, and that's why he got up so many points. Almost getting a double-double in seven minutes. Like, what the hell? Besides him, though, I mean, pretty sweet from the supporting cast. I'd say the only... Main dude who kind of had a lot of points was Antonius Cleveland. He just had five points on two of three shooting. But when you're combining for 34% from the field on 50% shooting, I would consider that pretty, pretty solid. I think one important thing to note, though, was they only shot one three in the first part. So just all about attacking. And for the charge, for them, they were just all over the place they were shooting it from outside 5 of 11 for 45 percent and they shot 11 of 18 from the field so the only real reason why the blue were in the game was just because the rebound battle and the extra possessions that moses brown really was creating for the squad of note like players of note i'd probably say antonio blakeney he was a huge beast for the Windy City Bulls. Played for the Bulls for a little bit. Wasn't amazing. I think he played in China. Was unstoppable. And now he's back over here. So he's a real scoring threat. In his seven minutes in the first quarter, he had seven points. But the game just entirely changed entering the second quarter of the game. And that's because he blew it on a 14-6 run to start things out in the first four minutes. And it helped them outscore the charge 37-27 in the quarter. By halftime, Moses Brown already had a double-double in 16 points and 12 rebounds. He shot still 50% from the field on 8 of 16 shooting. And how about this? My man, Melvin Frazier. Finally, he's not just stuck in the corner. He goes out in open space. And you know what he does? He gets 13 points by half on 6 of 7 shooting. Even got a steal in just 9 minutes 
of run. He was helping out, not just like playing a little bit out on the wings, but he was cutting in a lot. The charge never got used to him, and that's why he made them pay so much. For the charge, they only had three real guys helping them out, and that was in Blakeney, Sir Dominic Pointer, and Aaron Epps. They all notched double digits by half, but the main thing was they just were not shooting at the same efficient rate as the OKC Blue, and they were not getting the rebounds necessary to help them out in the game. They just had 16 first half rebounds to the Blues, 28. So pretty ridiculous stuff there. And in the third, they just wanted to put this one away. Go on an 11-0 run in the first four minutes. Yeah, you can say goodbye right there. And they just couldn't miss. They outscored the charge 23 points in the third, 41 to 18. And they even had a 37 point lead at one point in the quarter. So at this point, you know, I was kind of just directing my attention a bit more to the Thunder game. But at the same time, can't really take your eyes off of such a complete obliteration. That's definitely what that was. The Charge only shot 7 of 22 in that quarter. Let's just be real. That's not going to be enough, especially when you're facing a team such as the OKC Blue. Because the Blue shot 68% in the third. That's kind of unfathomable numbers. You don't ever see that. And it was off of 7 of 25 shooting. I don't know how you can compete with that. You can't feel bad. I mean, you actually, yeah, you can feel bad for the charge. They were pinned against the wall. And it was because Moses Brown was still just insane. I think they already had him on the top performers list by the end of the third quarter because he already had 20 points and 15 rebounds by then. But yeah, I mean, fourth quarter, really just a complete wash. Charge ended up outscoring the blue 33 to 29 but i mean come on now game was already decided blue end up taking the game by 31 points and it all starts with moses brown i think i'm gonna have to do like a little weekly recap with the blue because i know some people they'd probably just rather tune into one collective batch of all these but i mean moses brown could be playing for the thunder right now let's not change things up here Ended up finishing with 26 points and 17 rebounds in only 24 minutes. Charge could not find a way to stop him. Nobody has found a way to stop him in the first three games with the OKC Blue. And this was just kind of his best game of the season. So being 7-2, you're going to get that kind of stuff going on. It's more about if you're going to be Dakari Johnson or somebody else. I know I've, I know I've kind of just said that before, but can be kind of true when you're playing in a league such as this one athletic monster though in the pick and roll you need to watch out and he's just snagging board after board so you know you're not surprised to see him cooking up this much production behind him though Antonis Cleveland has also been really the second star with the squad he had 25 points in the season opener set it a little bit back against the ignite but he's right into form again picking up 22 points on 9 of 11 shooting 2 of 2 from downtown and he's even helping out chipping in with 7 rebounds and 6 assists everyone is passing there no difference with Antonius Cleveland he also could be thrown out there he's a great perimeter shooter and as you've seen through the stat sheets I mean he's able to get buckets in other ways he's great finishing right around the basket 
absorbing contact, and going up with either hand inside. So I'm loving him to death. When you're looking at other players too, Omar Yurt 7 he's got a little bit of a fan following, following around social media. He got a double-double, 14 points and 11 rebounds. He also got 6 assists at the 5 position. So pretty loaded at the center spot, if you ask me. You got a two-way player and a very solid exhibit 10 in Yurt 7. Good to see that with them. And also Melvin Frazier, he didn't really do much after the second quarter, but he was still definitely feasting out there. In 22 minutes, getting 13 points as well as getting in three steals. That means something. A great defender with him. And you also need to talk about Rob Edwards and Jalen Horde. They also chipped in with 14 points and 12, respectively. Rob Edwards was great. Had a 20-piece to open up the season, and then he kind of dropped down. Shot creator, going 5 for 11 and 4 of 7 from downtown. Absolute steal when you're talking second-round pick in the G League draft. And Jalen Horde, getting him from, I think, the Trailblazers G League last season, snagging him with the Exhibit 10. He was great. Crazy athletic, may I add. He had a lot of transition dunks that got the whole entire bench popping off their seats. Really just efficient right there. And and I also want to mention their first round pick in Xavier Simpson. He ends up dropping 14 points and 10 assists in 30 minutes. So props up to him. In terms of the two main contract guys and Pogachevsky and Ty Jerome, I'd say they both had their best games. Pokachevsky, he finally gets double digits, 10 points on 4 of 7 shooting, 2 of 3 from downtown, as well as getting 4 rebounds and 6 assists. Still had 5 turnovers though, needs to work on that. Had some beautiful jump passes in the game, had a no look, I think he was running baseline, just flinged it over to defenders. That's the stuff you love to see from him. Nothing different with his shot, he pops it when it's open, just falling in this game. And Ty Jerome... He's not that fast. He tries to work his way inside, but he's able to dish out fairly well. Six points along with his five assists in 24 minutes. Wasn't as much as like a three-point player as before. He just shot two, missed them both, and he just went inside. And he went four of four from there. So good from all of them. As I said, though, I think Moses Brown and Cleveland have been the best guys on the roster i also say Melvin Frazier has been solid, as well as Rob Edwards and Xavier Simpson, too. I think a lot of great guys have been on this team, to be quite honest with you. And they've all been not too shy about distributing the ball. They ended up finishing with 42 assists on their 60 field goals. Straight up unprecedented. That's definitely higher than the main team. 70% of their shots ended up coming off assists, so... No one was afraid to pass. You need to instill that in them before they make the jump to bigger leagues. So, great from both teams. Uh, Thunder and Blue. Can't wait to see them in their next competitions. And I'll be all there to tell you guys about them next time. But other than that though, guys, that is going to wrap up this episode. As I've said before, I'm in a my garage right now. So, I'm kind of freezing right now. My feet are tingling. I gotta get out of here. So, yeah. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.